Transparency and sustainability are common themes when talking about our food system. And our guest today on News Bites had a lot of experience in making the connections between her farm and her followers on those very topics. Hi, I'm Steve Ammerman, Director of Communications for New York Farm Bureau. We just wrapped up Earth Month and we'll soon be heading into June Dairy Month. So meeting in the middle is a good place to talk about the issue of sustainability and the role of dairy farming. Dairy is New York's number one commodity. We have more than 3,600 dairy farms, some of which we have visited previously on this podcast. So today we're getting a bit of an outsider's perspective. Tara Vanderdusen farms with her family in New Mexico. They have a large dairy that faces challenges that are unique to farms out west compared to those here in New York. Yes, some of the issues are universal, but she's not just a farmer. She also has a background in environmental science and has a large following on social media as a blogger and a fellow podcaster. You may know Tara by her social media handle, the New Mexico Milkmaid. We had a wonderful conversation with Tara about her farm, what sustainability means to her, and how that conversation is playing out for her across social media. Tara, thanks so much for being with us today. I've been excited to speak with you since we first met at AFBF back in January. And I just kind of want to start big picture because you're somebody who wears a lot of different hats. You're a dairy farmer. You're a mom. You're a scientist. You're a social media influencer. Where do you see yourself with with all those different hats? How, How do you describe yourself? Yeah, well, thanks again for having me on. I'm excited to share with you and your audience today. So I guess to describe myself, I really actually consider myself an environmental consultant, first and foremost. I mean, I, you know, dairy farm with my husband, but my husband manages all day-to-day operations on the dairy. And I work specifically on the environmental side of things for our dairy. So water conservation, manure management, soil health, all the permitting and regulatory side of things is really where my focus is. And then, as you mentioned, I work with, you know, sharing online. I don't, I'm not even sure what to call that. I feel like I never (laughs) know how to describe it, but I share online about dairy farming. And I actually went kind of full-time into that about two years ago. And, and then you mentioned we have two young girls. So I am a mom of an almost nine-year-old and just turned six-year-old. And so we're in Eastern New Mexico. I don't think I said that my husband and I dairy farm in Eastern New Mexico. And I also grew up in dairy. So, you know, it's just a long history of really being passionate about dairy farming. And then when I went away to college and got my degree in environmental science, just kind of pulling in that side of things, it really made a lot of sense to kind of combine those worlds with environmental science and dairy and try to kind of be the liaison between my clients and the regulators at the state and federal level. And then ultimately now I feel like I sharing online Still, I'm kind of that liaison, but I try to be a liaison between farmers and, you know, non-ag, our, our consumers, our everyday people that want to know more about where their food comes from. So what is dairy farming like in New Mexico that may be a little different than here in New York State? I'm sure there are a lot of similar similarities, but is there anything that maybe, you know, you do a little bit differently in New Mexico? Yeah. I was going to say, maybe the only similarity is probably like we feed cows and we milk cows. There's probably <laughs> a lot of differences beyond that. So our dairy is open lot style dairy, which I'd say is probably the most significant difference or the biggest just, you know, when you pull up to the dairy, it's going to look a lot different. So our cows are all out in open pens with large shades and wind blocks. And that is really, you know, the sun and the wind, I would say, are our biggest weather concerns compared to the cold or the snow. New Mexico has a pretty mild climate. We do get some snow occasionally, but it's pretty short lived. 
And so those open lots are just really great options here in New Mexico for being able to house our cows. Um, because of those open lots and our climate, we also have the largest average herd size in New Mexico. So our average herd size is 2,500. And it's been, we've been over 2,000 as our average herd size since I think the early 2000s. So it's been a really long history of having those sized dairies. And it really has to do with the style since we don't have to have, you know, the barns. We have lots of open land. You know, I, my family moved from Southern New Mexico to Eastern New Mexico when I was a kid. And there was just a lot of opportunity, a lot of land, a lot of farmland, a lot of feed out this way when we first moved this way. And so that was kind of the opportunity there. So when you talk about your work with farms and on their environmental management in dealing with regulators, what are some of the, the big issues that you're dealing with in New Mexico in particular as it, as it relates to regulation? Yeah, so this is going to probably the biggest thing is water and it's going to be not having enough water. So again, quite, probably quite a difference from my mm -hmm. uh, you know Midwest dairy farmers and Northeast dairy farmers. Water is our limiting resource. Everything we do, I would say, ties back to figuring out how we can do more with less water. And so a bunch of what we have to do is we are regulated on exactly how much water we use in our barn. So we calculate that on a weekly basis. We, we're permitted a certain amount. It's called an average gallons per day. So a certain amount of gallons per day we're permitted to use. And so we do that average over a week. So we keep track of that. Um, we also have a lot of groundwater requirements. So we have what's called monitoring wells. Those aren't everywhere, but I think they're becoming more commonplace. But essentially, they are well strictly just to monitor groundwater. And we have them upgrading of the dairy and then downgrading of any field, any lagoon, any like, quote unquote, point source so that we can monitor groundwater. And so I'd say those are, you know, some of the biggest things that would be differing or unique more to New Mexico or out west. Yeah, definitely access to water and is is very different here. But in terms of regulations around water, obviously in New York with manure management and keeping our waterways clean and safe, you know, is very important. I think a lot of people don't understand how much regulation is involved in, in dairy farming and, and, and farming in general. And that's something that really does surprise people where they just don't understand how much farms have to follow and manage. Absolutely. And even though we are vastly different, I mean, we don't have any surface water. So we are Mm -hmm. Our like concerns, our resource concerns are very different than yours, but it's amazing. Every state has their resource concerns that you are regulated on. You know, I know in the Midwest, like a lot of it is phosphorus based that you're being regulated on phosphorus. We are regulated on nitrogen. So it's different, but in some ways it's the same. It's just what your resource concern is and having regulations around that. So a big push here in New York, in particular from the farming community is investing in research and finding new ways, as you said, to do better, to be better, and really doing it with a science-based approach. And, you know, there's a lot of talk here in New York on sustainability and how our farms can play into greater sustainability for climate change and, you know, controlling greenhouse gas emissions and methane emissions. How important is that innovation, that research from, from your perspective as, as an environmental scientist to really helping solve some of the challenges and solve, solve some of the potential problems that, that could come about in the future? Yeah, so I kind of have two, two answers for that question. The first is I think when we think about sustainability, especially from like a, a marketing of our sustainability story, we love a big, something big, something big and splashy that we're making a huge change and we're going to solve our sustainability issue. 
I actually think a lot of sustainability is small management practices that are made every single day on dairies across the country. I love to share about how, you know, we've reduced our water use on dairies and how we recycle a, a gallon of water four to five times on dairies. That's not because we put in some huge water treatment plant. That's because we've made small tweaks in our barn, whether that be, you know, timers on your hoses or making sure there's not a leak or being able to recycle your water from cooling the milk to cleaning off the equipment. Those little management practices are what have made us decrease our water use, what have made us like really make an impact. And so I love being able to share those little things. And especially when I'm working with clients, I think if I walked into a client's office and was like, all right, we're going to, you know, spend a million dollars today on this big, fancy new sustainability thing, I might get kicked out real fast. But if I was like, you know what, let's figure out, you know, in New Mexico, like let's put timers on the hoses so that we just use a little bit less water since we're trying to save water in, in the West, that's going to come off a lot better to a farmer than something else. And it, and it really does have an impact. I mean, those gallons add up very quickly. On the flip side of that, I think that there is really exciting things happening and some really big, you know, projects that makes just big things happening in the sustainability space. I think that what goes back to exactly what you said at the beginning of that question of like making sure that what we're doing is based in sound science, what it's based in research this is going to really stand the test of time. I think with sustainability things, I get worried about greenwashing. I get worried about like, you know, some fad thing that we're like, oh, this is going to be it. And just making sure it's going to be for the long term. You know, dairies are not in it for the next five years. We're, we're in it for the next 20 years, next 30 years. What, how long are these pieces of sustainability equipment? Like how long are they going to last? How are they going to age with the facility? How are they going to be passed on to the next generation? And I think those are some of the things that we've really got to think about and make sure we're like planning ahead for. So you, I'm sure in your world of blogging, you have your podcast, thousands and thousands of followers across your platforms on social media. Is sustainability a big topic that you hear about from the non-farm public? Absolutely. So it's funny, whenever I first started sharing, it was about seven years ago. And that's not forever ago, but that's kind of a long time in the world of social media, mm -hmm. seven years ago. And there were a lot of dairy farmers sharing online. I was absolutely not the first, but a lot were sharing about animal welfare. And I remember when I wanted to start sharing, I don't work with the cows at all. Like, that's not my role. And I remember being worried. Like, do you think, like telling my husband, do you think people will care about like the water and manure management? But it was the more time I was spending online in mom, like I was spending a lot of time in some mom Facebook groups because I had a young child. And there were a lot of questions about like, well, I heard dairy uses a lot of water or I, I heard that, you know, dairy does this to the environment. And I kept seeing these questions come up and it was just such a reminder and really the push for why I started sharing was like, no, there is questions out there beyond animal welfare or beyond day-to-day -day practices on the dairy that people are having these questions about sustainability. I think now it has turned into like the behemoth that the word sustainability is. And it's at the forefront of a lot of our minds and a lot of consumers' minds. And so absolutely, there's a lot of questions out there around, you know, cattle, dairy, our impact on the environment. And I think being able to address those from, you know, being a dairy farmer, but also having the science background, I feel like has given me a chance to just share in a unique way. Is there one misconception or one area that sometimes you just shake your head and you're like, I wish folks knew more about this or could understand our perspective a little bit better about X? What would that be? That's such a good question. And there's probably 50 <laughs> like answers. Sure. And if you, you know, whoever you interviewed that had, but I think at the core of that is I wish that consumers understood that things are more complicated than a headline or a soundbite. 
So if they see something online that is just like, you know, cattle killing the planet, it is not that simple. Like the, the ecosystem, the environment, our food system is so complicated. You cannot read a headline and then make a purchasing decision based on that. Or even, you know, my co-host and I always joke on the Discover Ag podcast, our podcast, that you can't live with labels and you can't live without labels. But you cannot cover all of ag and all the nuance that is our food system in a label that says, you know, whatever it says, the antibiotic free chicken or, you know, like consumers see that and that's they take that at like face value when there's really so many more layers of complexity to that. And so I think that's what I wish consumers knew. It's not any one thing. I just wish that they would take the second to dive a little deeper, just, you know, peel back the layers of the food system a little more, find out, find a source talk to a farmer, you know, ask your questions because it's so much more nuanced. It's not black and white. There's lots of gray in agriculture. And and oftentimes, you know, when we talk about ag, you know, it's on a spectrum too. It's, Mm -hmm. there's not a right or a wrong answer. There's all in between. And so I think that's what I wish consumers really like took away from conversations. I'm kind of flipping that around. Why do you wish farmers would be willing to engage more in when having those those dialogues and, and conversations? Yeah, I think I think two things. I think now more than ever, it is actually part of our job to engage in these conversations, whether we want to or not. Like, I think there's a lot of farmers that are excited about sharing, that do want to engage with consumers. And I think on the flip side of that, there's like a lot of people are like, that's not my job. My job is to produce food. But I do think now part of our job is that transparency in our food system and people have questions and we've got to be there to answer them because if we're not, somebody else is going to answer their questions for them. And it it may not be the truth or what we want to hear or be accurate at all. And then, you know, I think that at the same time, when we engage with consumers, we have to approach it from a part of them wanting to be a part of the dialogue. You know, there, there is no stupid questions. Like I think when we are farmers, sometimes it's easy to think that, you know, be like that is the stupidest question or come up really <laughs> defensive. We assume everyone's out to get us. A lot of times people are not out to get us. They really just have questions. They want to know where their food comes from. And so starting the dialogue from a really positive place where we're just engaging in conversation and people want to feel a part of the food because, you know, food's very personal. You serve it in your home, on your table to your family multiple times a day. And I think that they want to feel a part of that, a part of, you know, the food that they're serving their families. And so kind of keeping that in mind and when you're approaching conversations that it it's not an us versus them. It's not a bad question or a negative question. They're just genuinely curious. And it's actually a good thing that they're curious. They're asking questions. That's, we want them to ask us questions. And so just kind of being there to be able to engage in that dialogue. When I met you in January and actually asked a question on your podcast from the audience, and I was really impressed with your answer. My question was, you know, there are a lot of choices out there for consumers. And, you know, we've had the conversations within Farm Bureau that just because somebody may choose a plant-based beverage versus dairy milk, you, you said that you didn't take that personal. Like, because there are choices, you know, you get more concerned in terms of how maybe information can be manipulated, but just the fact that the choice exists, you know, you t- no, no one can find fault in that. And I thought that your answer was really, you know, interesting and, and your perspective was really interesting because, you know, some dairy farmers think it, it, it all has to be one way and, and, and you have a bit of a broader perspective that there, there is room for choice. That's fair to say? Absolutely. I would say actually both my co-host and I, one of our number one things we say is we believe in food choice. At, at our core, food choice is what is 
comes down to everything. Everyone has different reasons of why they're choosing different foods for their family. And it is most of the time, not an either or. It's a both. Um, I, over 90% of households that purchase a nut milk or a plant-based milk also have cow's milk or cheese or some other dairy product in their fridge. It's not that they're choosing one or over the other. It's that they just want variety. I mean, you know, even in my fridge, I have three different kinds of milk in my fridge, a chocolate milk. I have a fair life that has like DHA for my kids. I have regular whole milk, you know, like I have multiple milks, not plant-based milk, but I still like my choices. And, you know, there's people, I know I have an aunt who's like, I always feel so bad when I order almond milk in my coffee. When I'm with you, I'm like, don't. The reason she's choosing it, she wants a lower calorie option. Fantastic. What I have an issue with is when people order a plant-based product and say it's healthier or it's better for the environment. Make your choice, but make your choice based on facts. If you want a lower calorie option, almond milk is a great option. If you want a higher protein option, cow's milk is a great choice. It It's about choices. It's about understanding the choices you make. That's really, I think, at the core of what I believe. Like, don't tell me that almond milk is better for the environment than cow's milk because I will fight you all day long on (laughs) water use and all of those things. And it's not because I don't believe in almond milk. It's I think you should make that choice based on the actual facts of why why that milk is available on the shelf, if that makes sense. That makes total sense to me. So as you started to grow your brand and talk about these issues in a bigger way, how has that evolved for you? I just kind of want to do a little deep dive in into your platforms and how you communicate and how you choose to communicate through different avenues. Yeah. Please talk a little bit about that. That is a really good question. I It's interesting to reflect back on like how my platform has changed, how it's grown. I Obviously, when I started sharing, I never imagined the places it could take me and the things, the doors that it would open for me. I feel like, you know, at the beginning, you kind of say yes to everything when you start sharing online because you're just, it's very exciting. There's so many different opportunities, things, you know, you're in rural America and your world has suddenly been opened up to the entire world. Like you just, there's so many people, you never know who is on the other end of that, that reel or that video you post. And so you'll get, I mean, my husband always jokes, like when he comes home, I'm like, you'll never guess who DM'd me today. And he's like, I can't guess. Like, I cannot guess because who knows who's on the other end of the TV or the screen. And so it really has opened up some incredible doors. And then as I've said yes to things, I've also along the way realized to say no to things. Like, I no, I actually tried, you know, this out or I tried this technique out or this way of sharing. It just wasn't for me and I pivoted. So originally, I mean, this is probably going to date me. Originally, I started with a blog and I wasn't even on social media. I literally did not share on social media. And then I picked up Instagram and Facebook. And now where I am finding that I am like, have I love podcasting. I think more than any platform I've ever shared on, I personally love to listen to podcasts, which I always think is a great place to start when you're thinking about sharing online. What do you actually consume? What do you like? What apps do you like to be on? I love to be on the podcasting app and finding new podcasts. I love longer form content where you can really dive into a topic. And so I've really enjoyed being a part of Discover Ag podcast and I'm excited to see where that grows. My co-host and I are also in conjunction with the Discover Ag podcast, working on a docu-series that we are currently pitching to networks and super excited about that and where that could go and some opportunities that have come up with that. So there's, you know, when you start out sharing, I don't, I don't know that anyone starts out with like a real goal in mind and it kind of evolves and changes along the way, but for anyone considering it, I feel like the, the pros far outweigh the cons, like the amazing impact it's had on my life is is second to none as far as my career goes. So it's been really exciting and fun to 
to see that progression. That is very exciting. And it's also refreshing, I think, for our farmers and, and members to hear who may be contemplating how big of a step they want to take. Just knowing that the positives outweigh the negatives is, is really important for them to hear. What, what should be some of those first steps if people are thinking about having a podcast or starting a blog? Yeah. The number one thing that Natalie and I and my co-host talk about, so we actually have a piece of our business called Elevate Ag, and it is actually for producers, farmers, ranchers who want to share online. It is a course, an online course that you take. We really walk you through the steps of getting started, even how to monetize, just taking you through the entire, what, what it looks like to build this into a business and start advocating. And one of the things we really like preach about in that course is your MVP, your minimal viable product. So if you want to start a podcast, it does not have to be big and fancy. It can be, you know, I know I'm on an NPR podcast fieldwork and we record on our phones, like on the voice notes, we send it to our producer and they edit it. Like you can start with the just basics and you can have really great quality, really great sound. And it's similar, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook. If you are thinking about starting, start somewhere and just get started. Every time you do a video, every time you do a post, you're going to get a little better. You're going to learn a little more. You're going to check your analytics and you're going to see what's going on. Even my husband, I finally like got him to into the fold and he is now sharing on social media on Facebook. And I think he had been sharing for like a month and he watched his first video and was like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. I've learned so much. <laughs> and it was such a testament that even in a month, he had been doing about three videos a week. So that's like 12 videos. And he already was like, whoa, I've gotten it down. So you can, you know, think about it and really plan out as, as much as you can. But at the end, you kind of just have to get started, give it a real go, really like jump both feet first and like start trying. And that's what I encouraged my husband when he did it. I said, do it for at least six months, give it a full six months and then decide if you like it or not and see where we're at. And we're at almost a year now. So, you know, he's like, oh, okay, I actually do like this. This isn't as hard or as terrible as I thought it was going to be. And so that's kind of, I think just get started, give yourself a time frame where you're really committing to it and you're going to, you know, give it a go. And you might be surprised at how much, how much easier it is than you thought, how much more you enjoy it than you thought. And in, I think making it easier, use the path of least resistance. You know, don't make it too complicated or you're going to end up not doing it as much. The easier it is, the easier it is to do. Are you finding, I mean, your husband was making videos and, and we hear time and time again, you know, videos is, is where it's at. Are, are you finding that as well? Are you, have you been diving into more of those reels and stories and why not? Yeah, video is king on all social media platforms, pretty much. I will say Facebook or sorry, Instagram has come out and said they pushed reels a little too hard and they are rewinding a little in 2023. And so I know there is some accounts that are large accounts that are getting great engagement on hard posts. I think you do like train your audience to see what you what like they're going to get used to expecting you in a certain way. So if you are like a hard post person and that's just what you post is photos and people come to your page and fall in love with those photos or your stories or your caption, they're going to love your stories and captions and photos no matter what changes with the algorithm. I mean, you can't out algorithm ever. You know, great content <laughs> is really at the core. And so it is interesting to see Instagram a little bit rolling back. I've been playing around with the carousels where it's like multiple photos you can scroll through again. And had some success with that. So you kind of, you know, you do see trends and things. When Natalie and I teach in Elevate Ag, we try not to give like hacks, like, ooh, this is how you hack the system. It's more like if you have a really good foundation and you build a great community around that foundation, 
the algorithm, you can withstand algorithm changes. So obviously everyone should be listening to Discover Ag and New York Farm Bureau News Bites, but is there a particular podcast that you're really enjoying or something that's really showcasing agriculture in an interesting way that, that people should be listening to? Oh gosh, there is so many good ones. There are. I, there is like, I feel like I try to do a variety right now of different podcasts. And what I find interesting is how many people are talking about ag on unconventional podcasts. Like I'm listening right now to a podcast right before this call that was who, what, where, and it's like a fashion. And they're talking about regenerative ag on this episode. And I'm like, that's incredible. Like this fashion, like it's an LA based fashion company podcast. And they're talking about regenerative ag because they're talking about where they're sourcing their, their materials. Um, so I love to see that there's a new podcast out. It's called choose wisely. And it is from a regenerative ag farmer or rancher in Montana. It's only a couple episodes old. It's really great. Also, it's an interesting perspective. It's a woman who was raised in New Jersey in like urban, urban setting, ended up at a dude ranch out in Montana, fell in love with ranching. And so I, I love her story and how she story tells. And then, yeah, you've got to listen to Discover Ag podcast as well. Absolutely. We cover the top three trending news articles in the ag and food space that we feel like people need to know about. And we kind of bring it from a millennial farmer rancher side of things. Well, I love it because it is so informative and you always learn something, which is, I think, the goal of, should be the goal of every podcast. At least Absolutely. For me. I mean, I think that's what you come to podcasting for is it feels like you're multitasking. Like you can be driving to work and learning something new or vacuuming mm -hmm. your house and learning something new. That's what <laughs> I personally love about podcasts is you, you're getting something out of it. So where do you see the future? Maybe, you know, for you, you know, I know you said you're working on a docuseries. That's very exciting to see, but also... In agriculture in general, there are a lot of challenges facing the industry, a lot of opportunities facing the industry. You know, how optimistic are you about what the future looks like for your dairy farm and for the industry? Yeah, that's a really great question. I feel like my husband and I are kind of at a pivotal moment in like our lives where we're kind of like, what's next? What, what do we want to do? I mean, we're a part of a family farm. My husband is one of six boys and five out of the six boys are involved in the dairy and we farm with them and my father-in-law. But it is, I, I feel like this next generation of farmers are feeling, I don't want to say the pressure, but it is kind of like, okay, like, where are we going to take things? What, what's going to happen next for all of us? And it's a weird time in the world. You know, we're coming out of the pandemic. We're coming into really high inflation. You know, it's harder than ever to kind of like get started, get, get your feet on the ground. Even us who's generational farms, it's still not feasible for us to just go out and kind of go out on our own and, and purchase a farm. So there's a lot of challenges, but at the same time, we have opportunities, I feel like that we've never had, you know, I think about, you know, not to bring it back to social media, but how social media opens up a whole new world for businesses to market for free. I mean, you have a free app on your phone that you can reach thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people every single day, just by like recording your life. And so I think it, it's just a really interesting time in agriculture. And I think the next five to 10 years will be telling. We'll, I would imagine we will see some shifts and some changes, some good ones, probably some we don't like as much. Um, but I am optimistic, but I do think I'm an optimist, <laughs> typically. And I feel like I'm an optimist with a side of realism. But I am excited. I think that ag is, I feel like more than ever, we have people paying attention to agriculture and where their food comes from. We have people investing in ag like we've never had before. And I think that should make people excited that there's going to be some big, big things on the horizon. Well, I think part of that is because of you and, and people like you who 
not only are, are great farmers, but are able to tell great stories and engage people. So, you know, thank you for what you do. And thank you for that compliment. You totally made my day. So <laughs> sometimes when Good. you're speaking onto the social media world, you're like, am I just speaking into the abyss or is anyone listening? So thank I'm you. I'm telling you, here in New York Farm Bureau, we care. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though, we, we, we do appreciate what you do. And and putting yourself out there because it isn't always easy. And and hopefully more of our members and farmers can, you know, find that same courage and same that same voice, or at least their voice their to be voice. able to talk yep. about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's one thing with sharing is people always wonder, like, I don't know how to share. Your biggest asset on social media is showing up as you. Like what makes you uniquely you is always going to be your strongest asset because when you you think the things that you do are unique until you put it on the internet and then you get like, you know, a hundred messages being like, oh my gosh, I didn't know anyone else like thought like that or did things like that. Or, you know, you just have people relate to you in such incredible ways. And that's, I always tell people, if you start sharing online, you share like how you want to show up because you're going to connect with people that I never would. And, you know, the person down the road's never going to connect with because we all have these, you know, things that make us unique, that make us relate to people in different ways. Amen. Well, Tara, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your story and best of luck on everything you have going on. Thank you so much for having me on. This was really great. I appreciate it. Making connections to make a difference. That's the goal for so much of what we do here at New York Farm Bureau and what our members do on and off the farm. And the more we can make those connections, the better we will all be for us. Thanks for listening to News Bites. And as always, a shout out to Seth Moser Katz for editing this edition. Until next time, thank a farmer for all that they do.